And as the uh, owls hoot in the background, this is Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. That just seemed like an appropriate opening here for today's program. Yeah, Jim Shorty yeah. over here on my left. Jim, how you doing? Good morning. We've uh, got some cool Seattle weather. Uh, we've got a yeah, little bit yeah. of rain that will be going through the the area all the way through Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I think Ken Dewey was saying that we might even get between now and Tuesday four to five inches more rain. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, it looks like it's going to be pretty dry or pretty wet weather through the almost the third week of October, which is going to make it really damp for people out there harvesting. Well, just imagine it could all be snow. You know, I hope it dries out a little bit. I've got some buddies that are farmers that uh, they want to get out in the field, mm-hmm. but right now they're just they're going out and getting stuck. Yeah. They can't <laughs> they can't get out there. Hey, Jim, we got a great show for you today. We do. Um, look at this catchy title. Tell uh, tell the listeners what you're seeing here. Watch out for the hallway. Our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina. You know, under God's plan, if I had to come back as a ghost, I would I would hang out in the library. Libraries would be fun. Tony, or excuse me, Joey Amadea is our guest this morning. Mm-hmm. The uh, author of Watch Out for the Hallway. Uh, first-time guest. Looking forward to talking with, with Joey about that. First up is Charlene with Capital Humane Society and Pet Talk. And we've got our friend Preston Dennett with The Seen and the Unseen. Always raising the intelligent quotient of the show by at least two or three degrees. This is Charlene with the Capital Humane Society. Hi, Charlene. Good morning. Good morning to you. What's going on at the Capital Humane Society? We are very busy getting ready to open our doors at 11 o'clock. We have wonderful volunteers helping us get through lots and lots of dishes today, and our staff is working hard getting uh, working hard to get all the animal areas cleaned up and the animals cared for. So we're ready for people to come and visit and possibly adopt today. 32nd Annual Tails and Ties Dinner. That's an important fundraiser for us. You can find information on our website at capitalhumanesociety.org. It's a fun evening where there's a silent auction and a live auction. Uh, so if it's, uh, it's October 26th, and if that sounds like an event you're interested in, um, again, you can learn more about how to attend or how to uh, provide sponsorship on our website. So are we going to see animals with uh, ties and... Uh... Yeah, well, they have tails. Yeah, that that one in the picture there has a little tie on. So, yeah, they're going to be pretty cute. A boxer with a bow tie. Uh huh. (laughs) Jim, speaking of cute, look at these great cats and kittens. Yeah, let's do. Okay, who's first? So, we have a lot of cats that need great homes. Um, We're going to start with Crackers. (laughs) Crackers is one of our younger cats. He is just five months old, a little neutered male. He's very shy, and that shows in his picture. He's like, oh, I'm not sure. (laughs) Uh, So he can be one of those that kind of, you know, is in the back of his little condo. Um, But with a a kind touch, he's going to be very trusting and a wonderful little companion. Oh, look at that, that coloring on his legs. It looks like he was putting on his jacket in a hurry, and, and <laughs> one, one arm is just kind of halfway up. One sleeve is halfway up, and the other's all the way. It's it's really neat. 
Yes, he's a cutie. Okay, what a great name, too. Crackers, our first cat up for adoption this morning. You can follow along if you want to at capitalhumanesociety.org. And who's the next, next cat? Hans. And Hans is a three-year-old neutered male. He's a short hair cat, uh, black and white, very cute, got a little pink and black nose, white whiskers, just the sweetest little look oh, on yeah. his face. Uh, looking for a family that is just going to take excellent care of him. Of course, my mind jumped to the Hans and Franz strip <laughs> from the classic Saturday Night Live days. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> we just want to pump you up. <laughs> Great looking cat. Take a look at, uh, at Hans. Uh, CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Follow along at home. We've got crackers, Hans, and then there's... Laska, and Laska is a one-year-old spade female. She has short hair. She's a black and brown tabby cat, a very sweet look on her face. She is looking for a home where she's the one and only feline. Uh, She's very playful and outgoing, and she knows a family is out there looking just for her. What a sweetie. Oh, well put, Shirley. Great-looking cat, Laska, is our third cat today. Uh, Any one of these... um, Talk to the staff about pairing them up because two cats are indeed better than one. The Colborne family proved that for many years. You'll have so much fun if you get two cats because you can watch them uh, chase each other, play. Um, one will be the aggressor, one will be timid, then the tables are turned and they race all around <laughs> the house and they sleep together in their kitty bed. And either one will provide uh, a great lap warmer for you because we're going to that cooler weather, aren't we? Sure. Yep, I think it was uh, 40s outside mm-hmm. when I came to the studio in my shorts this morning. Yeah. Crackers, yes. Hans, and Laska. Okay, and you're, you're open today and tomorrow. We are open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 5.30. Dogs next up for adoption, and we still have Baby Girl. I want to get Baby we Girl do. adopted. Come on, folks. I know, and I was going to talk. She's one of my dogs today. She's a two-year-old Shepherd Pitbull mix. Uh, so smart, uh, really, you know, just is looking for somebody who knows how to work with dogs. Uh, she can be very affectionate. She just has some trust issues and is a little bit slow to uh, warm up. But once she does, she's really a lot of fun. So we are hoping somebody is interested in meeting Baby Girl soon. Yeah, I would love again, folks, to have one of you folks contact me outside the radio show and say, guess what? We heard uh, Charlene talking about Baby Girl. We went and adopted her today. That would just be great news. So yeah. take a look at Capital Humane Society at the picture of Baby Girl, and uh, we sure hope to hear from you. Who's next? Bandit. And we may have talked about Bandit before, too, but she is a lovely little dog, a Labrador blue healer, but she has a lot of energy, a high chase drive, so she needs someone who understands that breed and has time and patience to work with her. Uh, She does have um, one eye missing, so um, she does have a few little special needs, um, but she is going to be fine for somebody, again, who can work with her. She does need a home without cats or dogs or kids, (laughs) so she wants to be a very important member of your family. The special dog, Bandit, for a special home. Baby girl, Bandit, and? Next up is Travis. He's got a big old smile on his face. (laughs) He is a two-year-old neutered male pit bull mix. 
Um, another very active dog needs someone with plenty of time to provide ample exercise and attention and training and proper care, um, but he will be a very entertaining companion for the right person. A uh, really fun picture. Travis is looking right at the camera, and he is happy and smiling. He is ready for some play and some fun. Baby Girl, Bandit, and Travis. If you're following along at home, capitalhumanesociety.org. See all the pictures. And Baby Girl, Bandit, and Travis. Here's Charlene with hours open today and tomorrow. Please visit us at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center, and we are open today and tomorrow from 11 to 530. Well, between uh, bursts of rain, I'm going to try to get out and mow a lawn today. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> I have to. There's, <laughs> it's, it getting, <laughs> it's getting so long. Geez, I, hopefully it won't sink down in the ground here, but I'm going to give it a shot. So, Yeah. Okay, Charlene, thank you for all that you do. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. Hey, Jim, who's up next? Our good friend Preston Dennett. No way. Yes, way. 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 <laughs> way out there. Okay. On the left coast or the, uh, the west coast, Preston Dennett. This is the seen and the unseen. Hey, Preston, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys? With an intro like that, how can you not be doing great? Hey, Preston, yeah, Jim's, going well. Jim's got this bright orange T-shirt on that I swear would almost be a glow-in-the-dark one. And I got this coffee in my cup that Scott brought that is almost glowing bright orange itself. <laughs> it's so strong. <laughs> yeah, it's, wow. it's 100-mile cup. Zowie. Yep. Hey, Preston, we're doing great. Tell us about yourself and what you've been up to the last month. Oh, all sorts of stuff that's going on. Keeping busy, doing lots of writing, working too hard. Yard work, all kinds of stuff, interviewing people. Um, yeah, I mean, one kind of interesting story crossed my desk recently. Um, a lot have, actually, but this one, I don't know, I just keep coming back to it. This guy sent me an email about this uh, encounter he had, and it turned out it wasn't just a simple sighting, uh, as he initially thought. Um, this was back, let's see, in 1990. He was 15 years old, living in Pasadena, California, and he thought, you know, one evening he's going to take a walk to his girlfriend's house, which lives, you know, just a few blocks away, something he had done a number of times, many times. And so he's walking down the sidewalk, and suddenly this craft is overhead, this ship. Um, he didn't get a real good look at it, because that's all he really remembers. Huh. The next thing he knows... He is back in bed. It's the next morning. And uh, the strangest thing, you know, he doesn't remember this at all. All he knows is he's now missing his brand new pair of Reeboks shoes that he had just gotten for Christmas. Uh, doesn't remember taking a walk. Doesn't remember seeing anything. Just knows that his shoes are missing and his mom is furious because she just got them for him. And it's like, I don't know. You know, I don't know what happened to him. I really don't. And uh, it was about two years later, he's driving along uh, with the same girl, actually, and uh, through Pasadena near Ellington Air Force Base, not far from uh, his high school. And he sees a bunch of people standing.
standing outside of their cars and looking up, pointing at the sky. This is about 8.30 at night. So he stops the car and gets out, and he, he can't quite figure out what he's looking at. Um, it looks like windows just sort of up there in the sky. He's looking to the left and the right, and he realizes, oh, my God, you know, this is actually a huge, huge craft. It was just sitting there. didn't make any noise. In fact, the entire area was kind of this oppressive silence over it, um, which is not unusual. We call that the Oz factor. Mm-hmm. For some reason, when these ships show up, all animal sounds stop, traffic noises even. So something was clearly going on. And everyone's looking up at this thing when a door opens up and some sort of light or something flew from far, the, far away and inside, in, in through this door. <laughs> the door closes, um, and suddenly uh, clouds start forming in a whirling sh- kind of shape around the bottom of this craft, and it shoots straight up so fast all the clouds kind of trail after it. And... Uh, took maybe, he's estimating, two minutes. Uh, looks at his clock, about 20 minutes have passed. And here's another weird thing. Didn't remember this. Had no memory of this at all until he was about 40 years old, mid-40s. Uh, just recently, a couple of years ago, he recalled this. And uh, at the same time he recalled this, he recalled that other sighting when he was 15 years old. So now he's contacts me, he's freaking out, he's like, what happened, what happened to me, how come, is it possible to forget something like this? I'm like, hmm, yes, it is, and this is not that uncommon. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to figure out if he possibly had an abduction experience, and I have to say that all the markers are pointing towards it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm not, it's just so strange that you can have such a profound encounter like that have no memory of it. Yeah. I don't know what to make of it. Go further and describe this amnesia-like experience that a lot of experiencers and close encounter folks uh, experience. Yeah, it's not unusual. I've experienced this myself. I mean, there was another case in England. Um, I didn't interview this guy, but he's seeing a UFO. It flies overhead, and uh, as it's disappearing off into the distance, he can feel the memory of it leaving his mind. He had a pad of paper by his desk, so he quickly grabs it and starts writing down what he saw. And no sooner did he finish writing when the whole experience almost left his mind. It's kind of like dreams, which are really slippery and hard to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's a, re- you know, a link there. Um, I think there's an interdimensional aspect to these things. And this is, you know, I'm speculating here, and this may be why it's so hard to remember. Um, I'm pretty darn sure that this is not like a function of the human mind trying to suppress stuff. Um, I feel like this is something that's put forth by the ETs, by the craft, the occupants, to sort of uh, make people forget. Um, they're excellent hypnotists, you know, and they're going to do what they've got to do to make sure people don't remember it until they want people to remember it. So it makes me wonder how, how many of us have had experiences and don't know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. James Harder, uh, an electrical engineer that early on got interested in, in UFO uh, sightings and close encounters, 
Uh, he learned hypnosis and uh, helped a lot of people recover their, their memories. Dr. Harder said that, you know, if these guys, if these ETs, these dimensional beings, <clears throat> if they're really good, uh, you won't even know it. It's sort of the, the intro-level ETs or dimensional beings that are in the class called Meet the Humans 101 that are just learning the protocols that you'll, you'll get some sort of memory that comes through. Or you'll be like uh, Barney Hill, and you won't remember anything except the top of your shoes are all scuffed up, uh, like you were drugged down a highway and your shoes were scraping on the concrete. Hopkins had a client who had no memory, no memories of any sightings, no reason to believe he had any connection to this subject at all, other than he was kind of interested in it, which is definitely one of the red flags I look for, someone who's repulsed by the subject or fascinated by it. And as Bud's questioning this guy, um, the guy revealed, he's like, well, I do have this dread fear of this one stretch of highway. Not the whole highway, just this one part. And that's another red flag you can look for. This is just sort of a weird phobia of a certain location. And uh, Bud put him under hypnosis. Sure enough, he had been abducted by Grays right in that exact spot. Wow. His car was pulled to the side of the road, and Grays showed up, was pulled into a craft, and medically examined. So we know they, that people that experience something that's traumatic, uh, that is uh, just so far outside their normal experience that they have an internal function that can block that. And it could be a, a car accident. It could be seeing somebody near and dear to you, uh, you know, die uh, quickly, unexplained, perhaps even violently. So we know that we've got that internal capacity to do that, but you're suggesting right. an external agency that somehow knows our psychology in the way that we're wired enough that they can create that selective amnesia. That's so very interesting. I mean, we see suppressed memories in, you know, war trauma victims or mm -hmm. people who've been assaulted or child abuse. That definitely turns up. But a lot of these cases, people aren't going through severe trauma. Um, you know, I had this exact thing happen to me when I saw a ball of light zooming down in front of my car, um, went right up in front of the windshield, two feet away at the most, zipped back and forth and took off. Hmm. Now, maybe I did have a missing time. I don't remember. I don't remember going <laughs> home that night or what happened, you know, really before or after. But I do remember this, and I didn't remember it until, gosh, three or four or five years later at least. I, n I had no fear during the entire incident. There was nothing really mm -hmm. traumatic about it. I thought it was cool. I was like, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. So, I, no, I don't think it's the trauma. And I see it so much. And it always comes along with that sort of weird, oppressive, maybe that's not the right word, but almost a relaxed, calm feeling that overcomes people when they're seeing this stuff. So that makes me think, ETs are doing this, mm -hmm. and in particular because there's a lot of cases. I mean, there's one case here not far from where I live right now in Reseda where a lady had grays, gray-type beings, enter into her bedroom, and she was fully conscious. She's like, oh, my God. Like, you know, 
know, don't be afraid. We're not here to hurt you. We need to take you away and into our craft. And they did. And they're like, can we cut your arm? She said, no, you can't. Well, they did anyway. I said, well, we need to do an operation on your brain. And that <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, that was not good news as far as she was concerned. <laughs> she did black out. But they kept coming back. And every time that they came back, it was to argue with her, saying, you won't remember this. Well, they don't know this girl. <laughs> she's very strong-willed and very feisty. And she's like, I will remember. I'm like, no, you won't. She said, yes, I will. I said, well, you better not tell your dad. She said, I'm going to tell him as soon as you leave. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it was just on and on. And they'd argue with her for like literally 15 minutes. They did it three times. Came just to say, you won't remember this. But she did. So, yeah, I think that they're very interested in kind of suppressing our memory of this. For, gosh, I have two theories as to why. One is for their own benefit, sort of cover their tracks and uh, let them do what they want to do without interference. The other is for our benefit, to sort of reduce the trauma of this experience, particularly an onboard experience, to until we get to a point where we can handle it emotionally and it won't disrupt our lives. Um, either way, I feel like we should remember. <laughs> um, we should have the right to know what's happening to us. I'm pretty firm on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know. It's a weird phenomenon. What was the, years ago, the Gallup Roper poll that estimated that a certain percentage of people um, have had a close encounter experience. Was it 3%, 4%? Um, it was 1 in 50. 1 in 50 people, which is, you know, millions. And it's funny because about a year before that, I had written an article called 1 in 40 based on a quote I heard from J. Allen Hynek, who said that 1 in 40 people have had an onboard experience. That's what actually got me all in dead set on interviewing people about UFO experiences. So, no way. That's way, way too many. I know 40 people. I'm going to ask everybody. And I found a bunch of people, you know, more than, gosh, must have been almost 10, within my circle of family, friends, and coworkers, who had had a real major encounter. Mm -hmm. So, so it, yeah, I mean, two, 2 in 50... One in 50 is what you said. Okay, so that's that's 2% then, right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's two, right. We, we have football games here in Lincoln, Nebraska at Memorial Stadium with 90,000 people, in excess of 90,000 people. 2% of 90,000 is 1,800. So that means that the next time that the listeners go to a football game and look around them, in the stands, there are 1,800 people, uh, maybe even more, that have had onboard close encounter experiences. Yeah, maybe more, definitely even more. Two percent. Um, when you um, just say that figure, it sounds it sounds little. You know, like you've got a two percent chance of you know, but when you start thinking about 1,800 people, my goodness. You're going to drive by some of those people every day. You're going to mm -hmm. see them on the sidewalks. They could be your neighbors. They could be your members of your family. They are, and it's more than that. I'm sure it is, because um, I, I just think this is a much more pervasive phenomenon than people realize. And uh, I'm thinking, gosh, 10%, maybe 20 even. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it's even higher than that. 
I don't know how many ETs are out there, but we seem to be confined confined to our little planet here. <laughs> and there's a wide, wide universe out there. I'm guessing there's billions upon billions upon billions of grays alone. Uh, I'm guessing that they outnumber us. I can't prove this, but I just can't see them being less numerous than humans. Uh, we just don't know. I mean, it's still a big mystery at this point. But yeah, definitely a lot, lot more people are having this experience, and I think it's important to look into your past and, you know, look for these kind of red flags, these maybe bizarre phobias, any weird phobias you have of perhaps uh, big-eyed creatures or uh, certain locations or lights in the sky or things like this. What's unexplained interest in UFOs? Preston, what's a good book uh, that you've written that would cover some of this that you can recommend to the listeners? Uh, probably Inside UFOs, one of my more recent books. Okay. Um, I think it's really one of the best ones I've written. Certainly it's the most popular. And um, Preston's website also, is I mean, PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. Uh, or just take your favorite search engine and type in Preston Dennett, and he's going to pop up there. Did yeah, you want to mention another title? Or? Um, well, I was going to mention, you know, I've written a number of books over UFOs over various states. Mm-hmm. Pick up any one of those. Um, particularly the one over your state would probably be most interesting to, you know, whomever. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, each of those books covers the full aspect of this phenomenon, um, from sightings to landings, onboard experiences, face-to-face encounters, missing time, the whole deal. But definitely you can get a lot of information from those books as well. Preston, you're one of our favorites. It's always great to talk with you, and uh, let's try to plan you back here for a full segment uh, uh, main guest appearance because th- we just always run short, and there's so much to talk about, okay? Hey, you got it. Okay. Anytime. Preston, have a great rest of the weekend, okay, my friend? <laughs> Thanks, Scott. You too. If folks want to reach Preston Dennett, again, his website's very easy to uh, find, Preston Dennett or PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. You'll also find Preston Dennett on Facebook. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty and you guys and gals. Uh, in about a week, we turn over the odometer to 34 years. And thank you so much. There's a few of you out there that have been along for the full 34 years. There's a lot of folks that have been listening for a long time. We sure appreciate that. Um, I've got less hair on the top of my head, but I think that I'm wiser (laughs) from spending time with all you folks and gaining so much information. And it's such a joy to be able to do this program. Jim, do you want to add your two cents worth there? Well, I I think it's great that the program has lasted this long and it's still going strong. And uh, it's just a lot of fun to be here and interact with all these great guests and the great listeners that call in from time to time. It's a lot of fun. Speaking of of great guests, guess who's coming up next, folks? This is first-time guest Joy Medea. Watch out for the hallway, our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina. Joy Medea, he's coming up next on Exploring Unexplained Phenomena.
Hi, dudes and dudettes. It's Carol Griswold from Women's Blues and Boogie on your community radio station, 89.3 FM, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. We have a great fall schedule of guests coming up for you. Today's guest, first-time guest, Joy Medea the author of Watch Out for the Hallway. Next week, we've got Prema Lee Gary, Your Sacred Wealth Code, Unlock Your Soul Blueprint for Purpose and Prosperity. October 27th, boy, it seems like it's just almost here. We've got a program of ghost stories. We're going to be announcing the guest shortly on that show, kind of our Halloween show, if you will. October 3rd, I'm going to be talking to you folks live from the Starworks USA UFO Symposium at the Aquarius Casino and Resort in Laughlin, Nevada. That's always a fun event. I quite literally drag people up to my hotel room and and put the uh, proverbial microphone in front of their face and say, tell us why you're here and who you are. November 10th, we've got Bill Hall and Jimmy Pettitino Phantom messages, shilling phone calls, letters, emails, and texts from unknown realms. And the list of guests extends all the way up now into um, January, and we're planning February as we speak. Our guest this morning is Joey Medea, and when he's done investigating strange phenomena, he's an award-winning screenwriter, audio dramatist, playwright, novelist, actor, and director. His screenplay, The Man at the Foot of the Bed, based on a true story, has been a two-time official selection and a Beverly Hills Film Festival invitee. He's the author of four books on using theater in the classroom, and he's working on a fifth book. He's the author of two novels, Jester Knight and Minor Confessions of an Angel Falling Upward. And he's married to his co-author, Tonya Medea. They're the brand new authors of Watch Out for the Hallway. The brand new book is out. And uh, what an intriguing title, Joey. Uh, How did you come up with that title? Well, actually, um, we didn't. 
And uh, thanks for having us on the show, and good morning to you, Scott. Well, it's it's something that came through the spirit box one night um, while we were investigating the, the Webb Memorial Library, and each each chapter and the title of the book are all communications from spirits that we got through the spirit box while we were investigating. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? Is it Medea? It is, yeah, and my wife is Tanya, actually, but it's a common it's a common error. Mm-hmm. And give my uh, give Tanya my best. She's uh, at another location this morning, so uh, we're pleased, Joy, to have you here. How did you meet Thank Rosemary you. Yes. Ellen Guiley, our common friend? We met Rosemary in two thousand and nine. Um, <clears throat> my wife and I had been a fan of the film The Mothman Prophecies. Sure. And being a filmmaker myself, it was simply because it was visually shot, it was very stunning. The soundtrack is amazing, sort of ambient industrial music. And so we moved to West Virginia in 2007. And in the beginning part of 2009 or so, or maybe a little before, my wife called me one day and she said, the Mothman Museum is like three hours away from us. And I said, why? Why would I want to go to this museum <laughs> about this thing called the Mothman? It's like, you know, I love the movie, but... But long yeah. story short, she, she really kept on me and said, you know, let's get away from the kids and go out of town. If nothing else, it's a, you know, it's a weekend alone. And we went out to Point Pleasant, which is just right on the Ohio River, super idyllic, little town, stuck in time. We loved it. And we went out to an area not far from there called the TNT area, which is actually the McClintock uh, Wildlife Management Area. And during World War II, they created these they call them igloos. They're made out of cement, but they're, you know, shaped like an igloo, and they were covered over with earth, and they stored uh, TNT in there. That's where the area gets its name. And we went out there in the middle of the day after talking to some people in town, and it was beautiful. The sky was, oh, like, I call it, like, picture puzzle blue, and there were ducks on the pond, and everything was wonderful, but I had never been more, like, scared in my life <laughs> and felt like someone was watching us. So mm. we could hardly go into the igloos. We were frightened. We left a little bit of sage as an offering because um, the legend is that, that it's an Indian burial ground partially. And we were driving back, and an interdimensional being, this black interdimensional being, kind of blinked in and out of our plane of existence in the road right in front of us and it was it was through the aftermath of that experience that we got to meet rosemary she and several other paranormal investigators heard about it um they had investigated point pleasant a lot and so we met them a couple months later so it was in november of 2009 and through the years rosemary mentored us and we went on investigations together and we talked about different things and and that's all how that came to be now, what an interesting precursor here to some of your work. Joey, I'm, I'm yeah. fond of asking people that have written such an interesting book as, as you and Tanya, if, if you were to scroll back in your memory to when you were a little boy, did you have any experiences back then that struck you as being unexplained or certainly out of the ordinary? I didn't. Tanya was the one. I had my first experience. It wasn't until I was 16 years old, but I had a mm -hmm. very, very mundane childhood. Um, just very, just very stable, not paranormal in the least. Um, but Tanya was the one that had experiences from the time she was a little girl. 
And uh, so, Joey, what did you experience when you were 16? So when I was 16, um, I was involved, as, as you told everyone, when I'm not doing my paranormal investigation, I'm a, I'm a content creator, I'm a performing artist. Mm-hmm. So I was in the performing arts wing where there were lots of us, 50, 60 kids in our school, and two of the girls started playing with a Ouija board. And it came to find out decades later when we really started looking at Ouija boards through Rosemary's work and through our own experiences that um, we, I had, which was pretty much a textbook experience. So these two girls were playing with the Ouija board. When I was a kid, my aunt had one, like, up in her attic, and we would just, you know, on holidays, we would pull it off the shelf and open it up, and all us kids would, like, spell out dirty words, and we had no idea what a Ouija board was at all. So these two girls bring in this board, and it's vaguely familiar to me. Well, over the course of weeks, they're talking to this young pioneer girl who um, – who died, you know, out in the woods kind of thing. But as time goes on, the story begins to change, and they get more and more involved in it. Suddenly the little girl was murdered by this guy, and then suddenly there's this huge turn in the story, as we say. And it's not the little girl at all, but this, this entity, this murderer that that killed her, and now he's trying to lure in these two girls, and they get very involved with it. And after a while, it was it was no longer fun. So it was a situation where mm-hmm. there was 20 kids who were watching, then there were 15, then there were 10, then there were a handful of us. Well, then suddenly the girls didn't come to school, and they're, like, afraid to leave the house, and they're using this Ouija board all the time. So a buddy of mine and I, another Italian-American guy like me, and we were, you know, so felt like we were, you know, just immortal at the time. You're 16, right? That's the point. Anyway, we go over to these girls' house, and it had gotten through the grapevine that they're doing this this Ouija board. and. So we go there, we go down in the basement, and there are these candles ringed all around the room, and this being, this entity, is really kind of terrorizing these girls and has them really frightened. Well, it sounds like it. So my buddy and I, you know, wanting to help in some way, just kind of say, if you want to do something, do something to us. And all I can tell you, Scott, is that everything stopped in that moment. Like, the candles flickered, some of them went out. I felt like my heart stopped beating, the world started stopped revolving and it all happened in a split second but it was very clear that there were powers there was something that was way way bigger than all of us and that was really my entrance into the paranormal Mm -hmm. i i grew up in a generation that a lot of us had ouija boards and did just exactly what you described i've uh as i've got older i've certainly had mixed feelings about the Ouija board. And I've told friends that, you know, we've got this big shopping mall in East Lincoln that's called Gateway, uh, or Westroads is another newer name for it. And it strikes me that using the Ouija board is sort of like there's a payphone in the middle of that mall. And you're going to make a call to that payphone and expect whoever answers that to have your highest and best good. <laughs> Uh, in mind, and to be cordial, and to be intelligent, and to, uh, it could be that you call somebody that maybe answers like me, who's a practical joker. Yeah, I'm your Aunt Gladys. It's great to see you, and where's that five bucks you owe me? (laughs) Uh, Or somebody even, as you said, much more sinister. So we've got to be careful about that stuff, I think. 
We do. It's not it's not an instrument that that Sonia and I prefer to use. Some some mediums and investigators use them. There's no problem at all. But I agree with you. We do a lot of teaching, and the metaphor that I use is it's going to a strip club trying to find the love of your life. It's oh, just it, for whatever you know. So it's it's these trickster entities, and there's a real pattern to it. So yeah, it's just it's you know some people use it and they and they do they do great with it. Um, but I I tend to agree with you to the T on what you said. Yeah. This is uh, Joy Medea with Tanya Medea, his wife. They're the co-authors of a brand new book that has that really striking title. Watch out for the hallway. Boy, if you walked into a bookstore and saw this on the shelf, you'd want to be picking it up. That was just brilliant. Uh, Watch out for the hallway, our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina. And, uh, Joey, I've got to ask you, are you guys okay after being blasted by that hurricane? We... You know, Tanya's psychic mediumship came into play with that. We had two near misses uh, the previous two years. We were, we were, we would not have been okay. Mm-hmm. And Tanya really said, "Wow, we live in this idyllic little seashore community, but this is not fun anymore, and it is going to hit us, and we need to leave." So, actually, three and a half months ago, we relocated to Ohio. Um, and that was partially because of Tanya's insight. Mm-hmm. She just said, it's it's going to happen. So our hearts are breaking right now for, you know, we have friends that lost businesses and people with $50,000 worth of damage to their home or completely lost their home. And the, the waterfront is destroyed. And the Webb Memorial Library came through okay. Um, it's an old brick building, and, and it came. But we're very curious how the, how the spirit's in there reacted to all that we met a lot of old sea salts we met a lot of fishermen um while we were investigating the library spirits that is and uh so we're wondering how they're they're faring they're probably pretty shooken up the web w-e-b-b the web memorial library allegedly built on haunted ground ladies and gentlemen imagine if you were in a vast, a vast sea of darkness, and you saw a light, I, I think, just like you, would be attracted to going to that light. And I wonder, after I read your book, I wonder, Joey, if, if this Webb Memorial Library isn't kind of serving that function. It's maybe that light that's on that attract all these ghosts, spirits, souls. Um, I know that you've used the, the, the term portal, and we'll talk about that here in our mm-hmm. conversation, but does that analogy work? Uh, is it some sort of a light that's on in a sea of, of dimness or darkness that somehow these, these uh, intelligent beings are attracted to? We believe that it is. So, so in the book, and, and, you know, we'll leave Portal for now, but that is one element. But it's sort mm-hmm. of a perfect storm. So mm-hmm. the area where the library is is right on the southern crystal, uh, the, the southern outer banks in North Carolina where Hurricane Florence just hit. It has two names, that area. One is the Crystal Coast, a b- 
beautiful, inviting, wonderful name. The other name is the Graveyard of the Atlantic. So since they started keeping records in the 1500s, there have been some 5,000 shipwrecks wow. off the coast. The, the tides shift all the time. I'm deeply involved in historical education, and I do a lot of stuff with pirates and Blackbeard. And he was a veteran sailor who who grounded his ship like right off the right off the coast of where the library was and where we wow. used to live. It, it's extremely treacherous there. Yeah. So the graveyard of the Atlantic, part of that 5,000 shipwreck, were over 300 ships that were sunk during World War II, mostly oil tankers, um, by German U-boats, which was absolutely fascinating to me and i mention it because the germans and the u-boats came into play during our investigation mm -hmm. but you're by the salt water which is a lot of conductivity for electromagnetic there's a radio tower right near it we have a reason to believe that 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 whole area is very very active um there's been a lot of death there the the the, the cemeteries are very very haunted there and so it becomes this perfect storm you have all kinds of haunted objects in the sense that you have antiques in the library. The library is well over 100 years old. Many of the books are over 200 years old. Used to be doctor's offices downstairs when it was before it was a library. Um, the full name of it is the Earl W. Webb Jr. Memorial Library and Civic Center. Well, Earl Webb Jr., the son of the man who built it, he died 19 years old, tragically of a lung infection home for Christmas in that area. And so the building is a memorial to the dead. So I believe very much so that it is one of those areas. It's one of those hot spots. And one of the quotes from the spirit box was, get the information out there. So there was, there's, there's like a split camp of spirits between those who wanted us very much to talk about this stuff, to say there is life after death. There are things going on. There are other dimensions. And others, including these spectral MIBs we talk about in the book, that don't want us to get the information out there at all. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like a classic uh, light and dark struggle there. Um, Joy, is. this is so interesting here. I'm going to take my top-of-the-hour break. Um, it's about a minute okay. and a half. We'll be right back then. Um, and, Joey, what, when you wake up in the morning, what do you like to put in your cuff to drink? I've got some really strong... Sulawesi coffee I'm working on here. What What's in your cup? <laughs> I'm just the opposite. I got some French vanilla creamer and some cinnamon, and the coffee is just a little bit of a vehicle in it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Our special guest, Joy Medea, with Tanya Medea, his wife. They're the co-authors of Watch Out for the Hallway. And our good friend and colleague, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, is my introduction point to uh, meeting Joey. She has, uh, in, a, in addition to all the stuff that she does, she now has a uh, up and running, fully staffed publishing company, visionarylivingpublishing.com. And she has just brought out the book by Joey and Tanya Medea, Watch Out for the Hallway. So if you go to visionarylivingpublishing.com, you're gonna find information on the book. Joey's got a website called newmystics.com. And you'll also find Joey Medea, M-A-D-I-A, on Facebook. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney. Boy, we've got more stories for you from the most haunted library 
and North Carolina coming up right after this. Hi dudes and dudettes, it's Carol Griswold from Women's Blues and Boogie on your community radio station, 89.3 FM, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress, but big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me... Neither a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Friends in the band Enigma, they perform all over southeast Nebraska, and they provide the official music for the Exploring Unexplained Phenomena radio show. It's great to have you folks out there listening to us with first-time guest Joy Medea. In about a week, we turn over and celebrate 34 years of broadcast. We're the longest-running paranormal talk radio program in the world. And why do we do it? Because we love conversations such as this one with Joy Medea. And it's great to have you folks out there listening along. We've got a lot more for you here. Stay tuned. Joey, how did you first hear about the uh, Webb Memorial Library? Well, it was a little bit of a synchronicity. And congratulations on 34 years, by the way. Thank you. Um, so you're well, that's, that's, just, that's awesome. That is awesome. Um, I've been doing what I've been doing for about 25 years, and, I, you know, it's, that's that's awesome. So anyway, so I went to work while we were down um, on the Crystal Curse. I went to work for a historical education tour company that did a variety of programs. And I went in for a meeting one night, and on the wall is this poster about these paranormal tours that they do at this library. And I, I had heard mention from somebody you know, 
know, prior to that and had no idea what they were talking about. I was like, oh, wait, you bring groups in to investigate this library? That's just, that's just odd. But anyway, I saw the poster, and I said to the owner of the company, you know, what is this about? And he said, oh, we've had some trouble with it in the past. Uh, you know, we can't really get good people. People get frightened. All kinds of weird stuff happens. They go running out. And I said, well, it just so happens that my wife and I are paranormal investigators. She's a psychic medium, and uh, we're, we're super interested in this. So we kind of did an audition for him, and uh, we're able to start applying our paranormal investigative techniques, which are to know virtually nothing about a place before we go in. We rely initially on Tanya's impressions, her intuitions, the spirits that she sees, and then we begin to, you know, do a whole bunch of stuff from there. But that's how it all started was that this this company that recruited me after we had moved there just so happened, in air quotes, uh, to have this, this tour. Interesting. Uh, I just, I yeah. love how life events and synchronicity, sometimes very gently, sometimes not so gently, <laughs> prompt us to take uh, a walk through a, an open doorway there. When, when, you, when you first entered the Webb Memorial Library, um, what did your senses tell you? And I know uh, Tanya can't be here today with us, but uh, what did they tell her as well? Did you, did you walk into the place all of a sudden on full alert? No, the, the web has sort of a split personality between mm -hmm. the first floor and the second floor. Now, when I go into a library, I'm just geeked out because I'm a writer. I'm a reader, voracious reader. I read probably Me 12 or 13 different books at a time. And so I was totally geeked out just that we were in this old library. And the first floor is super, super inviting. Um, the friendliest spirits that we encountered in the web all resided on the first floor. There's the children's room, which is just full of stuffed animals and children's games and Duplo blocks and, and interesting mobiles and all this kind of stuff. So when we first went in, we were like, wow, this is really cool. This is neat. Just, just the idea of spending a lot of time in this library at night could be really, really cool. All the antique furniture and the roll-top desks and all this kind of stuff. When we went up to the second floor, everything changed. And that's where the watch out for the hallway comes. From. There is this long hallway that goes across the entire library on the on the second floor. Uh, one half of it, the northern end, has uh, entrances and exits from a couple of the different rooms. The other end does not have any entrances or exits at all. There's a window on each end. When you when you're ready to talk about portals, we'll definitely talk about that. So it was really a split, but when we went upstairs, we said, wow, something is going on here. It was oppressive, it was hmm. heavy, and that's where Tanya first started to, yeah. Uh, aside from the fact that we always tell people, now this was May, we investigated from May of 2016 to May of 2018. We're right on the North Carolina coast. Yes, there's a lot of humidity. Yes, it's, the air is going to be warmer and heavier on the second floor. But having grown up at the Jersey Shore and having – spent a year and a half in North Carolina prior to that, I knew the difference between humidity and just a dark, oppressive energy. Mm -hmm. And and that's what we encountered on the second floor. Mm -hmm. uh, Tanya made an interesting comment, too, in the, in the book that you both have co-written about um, one of the best instruments that you can use as a paranormal researcher is your own body. 
And so that's what you're... you're... And con... Yeah, sorry. No, please go ahead. I'm sorry, Scott. Um, that's that's really Tanya's mantra, and she, she's off today doing psychic readings. She's headlining a, a psychic fair, and um, but she she's a teacher. She teaches a lot of workshops, mm-hmm. and you know the the thing about the the equipment is that these entities are super super smart, and they're made of energy, and and they can mess with with the equipment in in myriad ways, draining batteries. Uh, making false positives on readings, uh, pretending to be someone else. I mean, we encountered a lot of trickster spirits. So, but your body is your body. And if you could be open and in tune, and the the trick is to stay protected and yet to stay open, then that's really what we impressed. Because we had a a really unique situation. I mean, we went in to the web 75 different nights for 150 plus hours over two years, but we brought in over 500 people um, as guest investigators. So that was, as things really started to take a turn after the first year or so, really started to take a turn for the dark, if not the dangerous, then certainly the dark and the very emotional and the somewhat draining. We had this huge responsibility of keeping these people protected and also giving them a good experience to to experience this this laboratory this this light in the darkness as you had said and a big part of that was really respect what your body is saying so if your face is tingling or you're getting hackles or or you're getting nauseous in your solar plexus say something there's probably something's going on mhm yeah you know, i uh, have had conversations with people about the paranormal and uh I've told folks that my own personal belief from experience and lots of uh, education and benefiting from talking with people like you is that um, whatever personality a person's got, when they die, they retain that if under God's plan they, they have to be a ghost for a while. So. If a person is a, a kind, charitable, good-hearted person, uh, that's the sort of quote-unquote ghost they're going to be. If a person is a dirty, rotten scoundrel, that's exactly the sort of ghost they're going to be. Dying doesn't really make us that much smarter, does it? I would, well, I'm, first of all, I'm going to agree with you 100%. But with an interesting caveat through our experience with one particular spirit in the web, I no longer believe that that personality is fixed any more than a personality is fixed when we're alive. Now, by and large, yes, the the personality that we're born with kind of goes through our life, and we saw very ample evidence, yeah. So, but there was one spirit, and his name was Vincent. Vincent was extremely angry. We had a, a Toltec shaman. Um, that we're friends with came into the web with us one night as a guest investigator and he said he's the grumpy old uncle of the group you know it's a big family here in the web some people come some people go some visit for the holidays some live here but he's the grumpy old uncle and Vincent could be extremely um, disrespectful especially of women and we think that's what he was in life we think that he was the manager of on the second floor in its first iteration was a garment training facility during the depression. So you have women who are desperate for work. You have a man who's in charge and probably had very happy hands.
and probably used these women's livelihood to kind of coerce them into doing things. He's not a good spirit. So from the very first night that we went into the web, he would get in Tanya's face. He would yell and scream at her. He would call women all kinds of nasty names. There were certain sections where he was in the library, also where the title Watch Out for the Hallway comes in, where Vincent stayed. And we did not let women go into his hallway alone because Mm -hmm. they would be touched. They would be yelled at. They would feel sick to their stomach. They would feel like their throat was closing. But over time, and Tanya put a lot, a lot of work in. So we're, we're talking about 18 months of work with Vincent. Mm-hmm. But she put essential oils in the library. She put healing stones. She told him what you were is not what you have to be. And Vincent did change as he was changing subtly. And, and it was interesting because he would try. It would be like a guy who's like tends to be angry, but then – really makes an effort to be nice but then you never knew when he would lapse and when he lapsed scott he would be twice as bad as he was trying to be good but an interesting thing started to happen female spirits started to advocate for him so to go back to your original statement i do agree with that but under certain circumstances conditions right but over a long period of time we did see change in this one spirit we see the the good, the bad, and the ugly in the human population, so yep. we could probably expect to see that also uh, in the uh, ghostly realms. Uh, yeah. I don't pretend to know why there are ghosts. There's all sorts of theories and reasons that people have. In uh, 2007, Joey, I'll make this short story very brief. I, I had my own experience with a full-bodied apparition in a cabin in Estes Park, Colorado. And uh, I had interviewed hundreds of people, read hundreds of books, talked to all sorts of folks that had had personal experiences, and um, there is nothing like one's own personal experience to have you totally go all in I am truly a believer of the phenomena. There's no other way to explain what it was that I saw and experienced. So I've got friends of mine that say, you're making this big deal about ghosts. There's no such thing. They don't even exist. (laughs) I think to myself, oh boy, if you only knew. Right. Right. So, um... Yeah, so so being an experiencer, obviously, that helps. And and Tanya, having seen them their whole life, our mm-hmm. daughter, who's 19 years old, she is a is a very accomplished medium. Uh, we have a house full of ghosts, no matter where we go. It's just part of our daily life, and we're dealing with uh, a guy who's angry. Uh, he's targeting me, as a matter of fact, uh, because I took over his space where my office is, where I'm talking to you right now. Uh, he felt like it was his space. So he's kind of been up to no good, but um, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to convince people. We we really try and watch out for the hallway to kind of talk about the spectrum from cynicism. I think cynicism um, makes things very very difficult. So people who just say, like some of your friends, there are no ghosts. There's nothing. It's all imagination. It's all neurons firing in weird ways. And, you know, thunderstorms produce weird electromagnetic energy in the brain, and this has been proven scientifically, all of this kind of stuff. All 
can do, as you know, is kind of put the put the data out there mm-hmm. and say, here's what we experienced and here's what we think is going on. Um, and that's what we've tried to do. And the, the other extreme are, are the folks that claim that any and all paranormal activity is demonic in nature. Yes. Yeah, so you mentioned you mentioned God, and so so we get those questions a lot. We just spoke uh, two or three weeks ago at the Mothman Festival. Uh, Tanya and I made a presentation about our work and and our lives, and we had a lot of people come up after the presentation to our table, and 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 uh, they're really worried because they say, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm a deep believer in God, mm-hmm. but yet we see these ghosts, and our daughter draws these pictures of these things that look demonic, and we. We just don't know what to do, and and I think that, that that that's a lot of cultures. So I come from, you know, from um, fiction writing and uh, theater and screenwriting and all that. And I'm I'm writing a, another horror script right now, and there are certain tropes that we deal with, where yeah, anything that's dark or angry is uh, a demon, and I think we try to be as secular as possible. Not because we're secular ourselves, we we have very very deep spiritual beliefs, but I think that it really starts to muddy the waters. Vincent was not demonic. Now, in our travels, in our investigations, in our research, in our homes, we have encountered what I suppose someone would call demonic. If you define demonic as a non-human entity that has ill intention and comes from a very low vibrational dark energy. I will go as far as that goes. And just just very briefly, um, for sort of an education for the audience, there, there were three kinds of entities that we encountered. Mm-hmm. Uh, by and large, the highest percentage, like plus 90%, were what Tanya calls people without bodies. Mm-hmm. So those were the ghosts of the spirits. They're people and they have that personality that, that crosses the spectrum from absolutely friendly to very, very angry, like we talked about. The other is a residual haunting. So coming from filmmaking, my metaphor as a teacher is if you take a loop of film of 30 seconds or a minute of someone's life and you just put it on loop and you let that play, there's no intelligence there. It will never stop. It tends to recur at the same time. And we did experience two residual hauntings in the web. The other are what we call interdimensional beings. Um, These are things that were never human, probably come from another dimension through a portal. A lot of them tend to be dark. I wish I could say that we've encountered an interdimensional being that that somehow wasn't dark. And it could just be that it's fear of the other and it's misunderstood. But I'm I'm really glad you brought up that that point because it really can devolve into a into a religious discussion very quickly. And I think that just kind of muddies the waters and it puts a lot of weight on it that the field of study sometimes can't bear mm-hmm. um, because of the mm-hmm. non-believers and because of the, the fraud that goes on. You know what I mean? We have to be so careful of our own ignorance coloring mm-hmm. how we view things that are outside our normal day-to-day uh, lives. And I remind people that it wasn't 50 years ago that mainline uh, Protestant churches were actively encouraging racism and 
uh, encouraging people to look at our neighbors, people of color, as being somehow inferior to us, the Western European white person. Uh, and so it's all from ignorance and not understanding things. We have a history as a human being of painting stuff that we don't know as being either out to get us bad or evil. And uh, it's more ignorant speaking than it is fact. Right. A lot of my work, um, and I will say now, I guess from this day forward, I'll say that it includes my paranormal work after what you just said, which is very provocative, is social justice. So it really comes down to that fear of the other. Mm -hmm. So Tanya and I spend a, a good amount of word count in the book talking about the fact that, that hey, we need to remain – we need to remain open-minded. So I've coined a phrase, um, <clears throat> the acronym is CAP, C-A-P, but it's Conditional Anomalous Phenomena. And any kind of experience that we have, whether it be a photograph, whether it be a spirit box communication, whether it be something that someone sees or, or some kind of physical phenomenon, we, we had things manifest out of thin air, we had things moved, uh, we had things begin to move right in front of us. So we, so we had a whole array of physical phenomena, as well as people getting scratched with open wounds or shoved, or I was almost pushed down the stairs one night. So so there was that element of physical. But But what is really going on? So as responsible paranormal researchers, and Tanya and I were given a huge gift because I think any serious paranormal researcher would give their eye teeth to be able to go in for 150 hours to a lit-up laboratory like the web and do a systematic, long-term study of what is going on. So we have this huge amount of responsibility. So, yeah, we have to be really, really careful and, and put that conditional in front of the anomalous phenomena. I think in the book I call them over-enthusiasts. There were people that came in that, that every wind that blew, every time the air kicked on, every time there was a, a little frequency change in the spirit box, um, it was a paranormal phenomena. And to have a group of 20 people and watch groupthink spread because mm -hmm. one person was afraid and suddenly felt like they were being touched, mm -hmm. and then you hear, I'm being touched too, I'm being touched, I'm also being touched, oh my gosh, they just lifted my... And there were times that that happened legitimately, but the groupthink becomes really, really interesting, and then you add in cultural conditioning, you know, which is everything from UFO abductees to to anything dark and angry uh, is is demonic. Uh, really, you know, I we think in the it. past year, and now the book is doing really well, and we're, we're out talking about this stuff. The responsibility of doing this work is pretty heavy. Take it, Jim. I, I I really I have to say this is Jim. I really like the way you think, Joey, and especially with regards to the spiritual side of it. And uh, in in my own, I've I've done a little bit of this over the, the past few years myself. And in my own experience, what I've observed is uh, with regard to the demonic, there's a tendency uh, within organized religions, and I'm not singling out any particular religion. But there is this huge tendency to call anything that they, you don't understand or that isn't in the Bible demonic. And to me, that's just fear of the unknown. 
Yeah, Joy, we I lost agree, you Jim. for a moment Thank there. You. We've got a, a, a element in our board that apparently is uh, overheating, so you're probably no stranger oh. to having technology get weird when you talk about the subject. Uh, but we're we're back in action. We've got it uh, temporarily fixed here. Yeah, this is live radio. We deal with it. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and also there's a weird <clears throat> there's a weird thing happening around the book where so far it's only limited to people who were on the tours with us or contributed to the book some way. They're having a lot of strange things happen. So as the time was ticking by and we we got a little bit past the 11.40 hour, I was like, I wonder if the spirits are making it, like, impossible for them to call me and this whole thing is going to blow up. And So if you're having the board overheat a little, that's... We're probably well, getting off a little bit easy, maybe, and you know, uh, to we, knock on wood. But we haven't had that happen in a while, so it could yeah, be. yeah. We've got a protective yeah. fan going against yeah, that we, board we do, to, yeah. to help dissipate oh, the wow. heat. Oh wow! Okay, and, Jim. Uh, there, yeah, I, I'm, like, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I need to read this book. Jim, there's a there's a <laughs> there's a part of their investigative process that I thought was so interesting mm-hmm. because you could have the open-minded skeptic that says, okay, it's all in in their heads. Okay, I'm not, I'm not seeing anything, but Tanya and Joy say that they're seeing or feeling or sensing, experiencing, smelling. So what they did is they arranged some artifacts. Um, for example, dolls or mm-hmm. children's play toys. And they arranged them and took photographs and measurements so they knew exactly where these were and then left the space and came back and did more photography and measurements. And they found in multiple cases where some of these artifacts that had been carefully set up had been moved. Trigger objects, yeah, sure. Tell us, tell the audience uh, before the bottom of the hour break. Tell us briefly about about one of those ex- episodes of the joy. Right. So the doll that you talked about, um, that was in the children's room, and the children's room was a super super active room. Now you would expect it to be um, because there, it is a working library. The web, I should definitely say that. So you have dozens of kids going through just you know playing with toys and reading books and just being kids and and doing all this wonderful stuff and so there were a lot of child spirits in the children's room and they liked to they liked to play with the toys so one in particular was this doll and there's a photograph a before or after photograph in the book and one night she was moved it was just very obvious that she was moved so we made it our practice that we would always start on the first floor and we would invite numerous guests to take photographs of the doll um and we found a way to arrange her so that it, you'd know if a hair was moved or a ribbon um it's it's very very hard for an entity to generate enough energy to be able to move something so so in these films and all those things go shooting across the room and all that what you're mostly getting is a very subtle movement which takes an incredible amount of energy for them to do that. So we learned to look for very subtle things. Well, we would go upstairs and we'd probably come down about 50 minutes later. And <clears throat> Tanya and I would make sure to not walk into the room before everyone else. We would wait out in the hallway. We'd let everyone else go in and they would take a look at the doll. Now, if we did this a hundred times, maybe it was four or five times 
that the doll was moved. It was nothing predictable. What we always tried to do was at least try to triangulate the data. So um, one night we were able to do that in the sense of there was a woman there who was a sensitive, and she felt the presence of a little girl around her. Someone took a photograph of her, and the photo wouldn't take. It was just very, very um, fuzzy, and the doll did move that night. So you have photographic mm-hmm. evidence, you have your body is the best instrument, and you have physical evidence of the doll actually being moved. That to us, that's your that's your trifecta, that's your hat trick, that's your depending on what your you know what your sport metaphor you want to use. Those were rare, rare nights, but but that's what we got into the habit of doing is to look for really subtle movements and make sure the conditions of someone accusing us of fraud were minimized by you know not entering mm-hmm. the room first and always keeping the group together. So that's how that happened. This is Joy Medea with his wife, Tanya Medea. They are co-authors of Watch Out for the Hallway, our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina. It's the brand new book from Visionary Living Publishing and that website, visionarylivingpublishing.com. Joy, this is the bottom of the hour break. It'll be just a little bit longer and looking forward to coming back with more conversation with you. Me too. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much again for being out there. Stay tuned after this break. We've got more coming up. Jim Shorty, Scott Colborn, Joy Medea, and you guys and gals, we are exploring unexplained phenomena.
dudes and dudettes. It's Carol Griswold from Women's Blues and Boogie on your community radio station, 89.3 FM, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from The Bay, The Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, and The Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. Saturday, October 6th, brings Josh Hoyer and Soul Colossal back to The Zoo Bar at 9, and Rock for Respect, a benefit for Voices of Hope featuring Mannix, Uh-Oh, and Freakabout, starts at 7.30 at The Bourbon Theater. That's all happening this week in Lincoln. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Jim Shorney here. We've got some Sulawesi coffee in our cups that is really hitting the spot. And, of course, we enjoy hanging out with you folks listening in from all over the world. Our special guest is Joey Medea with his wife, Tanya Medea. They've got a brand new book out called Watch Out for the Hallway, our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina. You, Joey, you invited a number of people as guest investigators to come in there. And unfortunately, in that mix, there were some people that were kind of duplicitous in terms of saying, yeah, we're interested, but they had ulterior motives. They wanted to try to trip you up to get you to say things or experience things that were um, that were not right. Why do you suppose that is? Why, why do we have some people that jump in and try to change the data to try to muddy the water? Right, and and I think that is the fear of the other, the fear of the unknown. It's a it's a fascinating thing, not naming names, but you know, a big part of being a responsible researcher is, of course, standing on the shoulders of giants and, and reading some of the other mm-hmm. stuff. And there have been people who have put millions and millions of dollars into research of the paranormal. Um, but nobody seems to know really what their agenda is because they don't release the research. There may be military involvement. There may be other things. But there are certainly gatekeepers. And I don't know of anybody who came into the web that was part of that sort of gatekeeping complex of people who now now that the book is out and Tanya and I are you know on on fairly high profile you know profile experiences talking to you reaching audiences selling books doing presentations some of that may change but I think we have so much invested whether it be religious whether it be sometimes philosophical 
the idea of things are the way they are and there's heaven and there's hell and there's this and that or there's us and them and after death there's nothing nothing at all and i think that cynicism drives people to do those kinds of things so so there were times that that we were we were uh um punked um you know as an expression from an old tv show um in the first decade of the of the 21st century but people who came in and moved a ridiculous amount of stuff around and it got to the point not that it happened off often but it was enough of a liability to what we knew was a really really important project that we actually um would bring less people in and then we brought in helpers when we could so we went from 20 people as a maximum to 15 people and then besides tanya and i when we could get someone we'd have a third person who just kind of stayed in the back of the group and made sure that nobody snuck off because the stakes with all this stuff is fairly high so rosemary's very proud of the book as the publisher and she's she's saying wonderful things about how important this book is and that's probably not our job to do that as authors but we do think that the book will have impact and we do believe that the work that we're doing will contribute to this conversation Mm -hmm. and there are people out there who just don't want this conversation to take place because some of that conditional anomalous phenomena is the conditional is really really small compared to the anomalous phenomena because of triangulation of data because of tanya's gifts as a medium and then oddly enough scott and we we only touch on this real quick in the book because we we try not to dwell on the negative too much but some some mediums and psychics there's some competition within the camp so they want to knock people down too so we had a little bit of experience with that well what you guys are really doing is making psychological implants in people's minds and 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 things like that so so i think that the motivations came and i think the last part of it is that some people didn't know what they were getting into they didn't know if this was some kind of haunted house they didn't know if tanya and i were were doing some kind of put on with effects and all that kind of stuff and so in a few cases they wound up coming to this place or someone surprised them and they were scared enough that they kind of had to counteract their own fear by taking control of the situation and i think one of the reasons one of the ways that they were able to take control of the situation for them was to to create false phenomena mm-hmm. joey you mentioned earlier uh, uh mib which as i understand mm-hmm. it stands for men in black uh what's going on with that phenomena as associated with either the web memorial library or with with you and tanya okay so so the men in black just in the 1960s uh people started to see these at first they thought they were government agents mm-hmm. so they were people that would be in black suits anybody who's seen the films the films get quite a bit right as far as the visual of them black suits white shirt black you know tie they tend to drive all black vehicles so a lincoln continental a cadillac which tend to be classic from the 50s or 60s but they look brand new and their shoes look brand new and oftentimes these men in black have very odd features um uh sort of eastern features the shape of their eyes things like that some distortion to their face they don't they don't quite look human they look like something trying to pass for human and not doing a great job of it 
So the interesting mm-hmm. thing about the MIB is they've shown up. So I just finished reading uh, Albert Bender's book, um, The Three Men and the Flying Saucer. Sure. And he got visited by these three entities. Well, they tended, they, they seem to be sort of spectral because they brought him to a parallel universe. And of course, John Keel and Gray Barker, they are really, um, you know, pillars of the paranormal field, the early foundational work. And they both talked a lot about MIBs. There was an MIB element very strong with the whole Mothman thing in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Well, an interesting thing, and really people who are interested in this should really read Nick Redfern's books. Um, Nick does a back cover blurb for our book. We were super honored. Um, they've probably seen Nick on TV and all. He's just done a series of books. Interesting because there's this idea of the spectral MIB, these non-human MIB. Uh, and that's what we experienced in the web. They were interdimensional beings. And they are very disruptive. So they can can drain the batteries or otherwise jam a spirit box. They can make the um, electromagnetic frequency meters uh, go cuckoo. They can make you physically ill. So Tanya and I have both had experiences where we were around these spectral MIBs. They can even physically attack other spirits. So we had an experience with that. That was also tied into a UFO sighting right near the library. The details of that are, are all in the book, um, <clears throat> where they were choking the spirit that was trying to help us. So watch out for the hallway becomes a warning from other spirits trying to protect us. So there really was, to go back to our original uh, conversation, this battle of light and dark. And these MIBs are super sinister. So those are experiences within the web. But Tanya and I have, throughout the past nine years of doing this kind of work, experienced MIB. I had a, uh, Rosemary has it in one of her books. Um, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's in Watch Out for the Hallway. But we were coming home from Point Pleasant, my daughter and I. First, this giant black moth commits suicide on the grill of our car. Then next to us comes this 20, 25-year-old Geo Metro, all black, no trim or anything, no hubcaps. The tires are all black, and there's this guy who looks like he's holding a freak box. So the freak box was this thing from the 60s. Uh, People would use it to make illegal phone calls. They'd tap Mm -hmm. into the telephone system, and uh, either Bill Gates or or Steve Jobs were were involved in using these free boxes on, on college campuses and stuff. But anyway, he's holding this box and this geo Metro is going way faster than a geo Metro should be going. Um, and there's this infinity sign on the back of the window, which was a synchronicity for something we experienced in point pleasant point pleasant for some reason is a generator of the spectral MIB. Um, it's a crazy phenomenon, and certain investigators, after we would get in touch with, uh, or after we would visit with them, uh, I saw the car the one time, or we would get these phone calls where it was all zeros across the phone just within minutes of our friends leaving after like a weekend together. And it was just a little message to kind of say, we know what you're up to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So MIB are really... <laughs> a really interesting phenomena. So, Jim, they, they are doing a series of investigations, as Joyce talked about, and they use mm-hmm. a spirit box, and they've got a, a backup box, and during one of their experiences, suddenly they start picking up German. Mm-hmm. 
Tell us more about that uh, and how that plays into perhaps a German U-boat. Yeah, so this is an interesting story, guys. So <clears throat> we would get foreign languages and we would get spirits with accents. goes back to what you said, Scott, our personality, our vocal affectations. We could clearly hear old and young. We could differentiate race. We could differentiate geographic area. One night through the box comes German. Now, I don't speak German, but we, we could all tell. Okay, this starts to happen periodically over the course of several weeks. Whenever German comes through the box, there's someone in the group who can speak at least a little bit of German. So they have these little conversations. So I mentioned that our daughter is an accomplished psychic medium, and sometimes if Tanya was off doing lectures or, or something like that, uh, Jolie, our daughter, would, would um, fill in for her. She was 17 years old at the time. Now she's 19. And one night Jolie says, there is this, there's this German soldier in the corner of this room on the second floor here, and he is not happy. He's upset because, you know, because when the German came through, I would try to use some pigeon German. I would say guten tag, or I would say whatever, um, you know, whatever things I would learn or something like that. He was really offended by that. Well, he was in a military uniform, and he Zeke Hiles, and he's just, he's angry. At one point, he gives Jolie the finger. He's really giving it to us, but of course, she can see it. And so she mentions him, and I mention it to the group, what, what Jolie is saying, and he goes up to her, puts his hand on her shoulder, and he says, Donka, you know, very sarcastically, thank you, thank you for outing me or whatever. So prior to that, and he's smoking a cigarette. So prior to that, we had smelled smoke in the room. So this is the beauty of doing a longitudinal, a long-term temporal study where you're going in over a long period of time and you can sort of gather data. Jolie, then Tanya can sort of see him. She doesn't see him as clearly as Jolie does. Well, one night we're in there. This is probably several months into this experience of German in this room. And I see this picture that I had never really seen before. And it's of U-boat 352 sunk on the ocean floor about a half an hour from the library. So I go, okay, this, this, can't, this can't be a coincidence. I have no idea what this means, but this can't be a coincidence. Well, you want to talk about synchronicity, which we do touch on. Synchronicity can be a very important paranormal tool mm -hmm. if you're very discretionary about what is synchronicity and what isn't. So anyway, synchronicity. I'm working for this tour company, I told you, and so we start doing escape rooms. So I've spent months now researching these German U-boats attacking ships off the coast and what it meant for people. It's a fascinating subject. Just really quickly, they would have these blackouts. People would paint their their windows black. They would drive their cars without their headlights on at night and get into car accidents, all because they didn't want to create a target for these U-boats that were sinking these oil tankers. Now, we had experienced some spirits of military who had been burned. There was a hospital right across the street from the web, which we also think why it's a light in the darkness, because there's a hospital that became a nursing home. Um, all these things are happening. Well, I go home and I start researching U-352. And sure enough, I believe it was in 1943, this U-boat gets sunk off the coast not far, about a half an hour from the Webb Memorial Library. So I call up pictures 
of the captain. And I say to Jolie, hey, um, all I say is, look at this picture. You know, and she's like, that's him. That's the guy. So we realized that this was this Captain Helmet Rasky. So this is where your hard research comes in, that it's sort of the non-sexy part of paranormal investigation, although I find it fascinating. I found a, a declassified U.S. Navy report all about Rasky. He was very much a German, you know, idealist. He thought Hitler was a genius, very much the type that would see Kyle things. And he also, when they were taken captive after they sunk his ship, he had a leg injury. That was an old skiing injury. Well, prior to this, a sensitive had said to us, or a medium had said to us, I'm sensing a guy, I think he's German, and he's he's got a, a wound or a problem with his leg, like his leg is stuck or something. So, okay, more corroboration. She felt this German guy with a bum leg. This guy had a bum leg. Okay, very good. What's going on? The nationalism, all this kind of stuff. So then we had a name, and we went in one night and said, you know, is Captain Rathke here? And he was very angry and upset. He kind of gravitated towards these two women who were blonde with blue eyes, like he felt like he was in familiar territory. He walked past my field notebook, sort of looked at it, you know, derisively, he was all upset because I had been taking notes about him. So so why was Captain Rathke in this meeting room of this library half an hour from where his U-boat was sunk? Well, we don't know for sure, of course, but here's my theory. I found a letter um, in an archive that said, basically, the survivors of U-352 in the 90s had gotten together as a reunion not far from where the web library was. They sent him the invitation and wrote on it, you are not welcome. Because according to the U.S. Navy report, more corroboration, he was super draconian. He was horrific to his men while they were all prisoners of war under U.S. care. And he would hand out punishments. He was horrible. So his men hated him. Plus, he had only been in the U-boat, didn't have any kills, and got it sunk. So the man was a total failure. So here is this light in the darkness, this beacon for spirits, about a half an hour from where his boat was sunk, where the reunion was, and I think that that's why Rasky mm-hmm. is stuck there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joey, as is my habit, I'd like to turn the mic uh, over to you and give you several minutes to speak from your heart to my audience. And... Uh, Jim and I have been really enjoying the conversation, and we wonder, uh, we're going to be doing a special show that we call our Halloween show, and uh, it's coming up here in two weeks on October 27th. Would you and or Tanya be uh, available, or would you uh, like to come back? We've talked to Rosemary Ellen Guiley as well, and uh, we'll tell some ghost stories. That would be awesome, Jim. Um, Jim and Scott, what what time is that? And what I'll do is uh, just toss that out to you, and we can we can talk. Um, okay. Uh, coming up here about whether or not that's going to work for you, but it's about two weeks. Okay, cool. And uh, so, Joy, now talk to my audience for about two minutes, and we'll finish things up here. The microphone, sir, is yours. Okay. So. So thank you all for listening. You can you can reach me at Joey at New Mystics, N-E-W-M-Y-S-T-I-C-S dot com. We 
we're working on a project right now. It's uh, the working title of the project is Roommates from Beyond, A Guide to Living in Haunted Homes. Not haunted houses, but haunted homes. And so we're looking for stories and experiences of people who cohabitate with spirit in their homes and what the challenges are and how how they do it, um, how they cope. And we're hoping that if people are in a home that they love and they're having some haunting, that we can offer some guidance. So, so I wanted to put that out there for people. And we really welcome your questions, even the really hard questions. Um, there's a spectrum of people from, I think, cynics who don't believe any of this exists to what I call the over-enthusiasts who think everything is a paranormal experience. And I really think what we all need to be with this phenomena is skeptics in the sense that we look at everything with a very critical eye and we look at it from historical, we look at it from spiritual, religious, um, we look at it from quantum physics, which helps explain parallel universes, synchronicities, all of those kinds of things, and the issues of life after death and what we've experienced. So I encourage you to read the book. Every author says that, but we think we had a very, very unique experience here, which was, uh, which was a gift to us. And, and we welcome, we welcome commentary, but more than that, we welcome respectful conversation about what you've experienced and what sense you make of what we've experienced. Mm -hmm. Uh, Folks, again, this is uh, most impressive, as uh, Joey said earlier in our show, to have the opportunity to have a location where you visit uh, 75 times over the course of two years, and you bring in hundreds of other people for their observations and interactions. Um, I don't know that I can, off the top of my head, think of another case that's had anything similar like this. Um, I've very much enjoyed your book. Uh, Joy, thank you for taking time out from your weekend to be with my audience and give my best please to Tanya. And we'd sure wish you well and keep the door open for a return visit here on the show. Yes, we sure will. Uh, we hope to come on on the 27th. This has been Joey Medea, co author with his wife, Tanya Medea. Watch out for the hallway our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina. It's easy to find. If you go to visionarylivingpublishing.com, you will find the book there. A website for Joey Medea is newmystics.com. You'll also find Joey Medea, M-A-D-I-A, on Facebook. Jim, what are you doing for the rest of Saturday? Chilling out at home. Well, I'm going to try to get a lawn mowed because with rain forecasts before, during, and after, i got to do it today. Yeah, you kind of have to dodge the raindrops. Uh, And uh, great coffee. Really enjoyed that Sulawesi. Folks, thanks so much for spending uh, your Saturday morning with the show. And uh, this is also going to be archived, of course. We'll have that archived radio show posted in about a week that you can share with Mm -hmm. people all over the world. Stay tuned for our friend Vic with Mesoterra, and he's coming up in just a matter of minutes. More great music also in store for you here on KZUM Radio. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week, walk in beauty.